0: There's never going to be an an end to a need for more authentic, trusted voices. People are joining new social media platforms every day. There's new experimentation in the kinds of content that we're delivering from short-form video to, you know, Clubhouse. And so there's a consistent need to evolve the way that consumers are interacting with influencers and so that begets a need for more influencers.
1: You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. It's safe to say that influencer marketing has reached a tipping point. With social networks finally expanding their social commerce offerings and consumers clamoring for more authentic Real content, we're seeing influencers overtake and drive the media and advertising landscape into an entirely new direction. But with this shift, how can retailers and brands best keep pace? How can they ensure that they don't just have a great strategy, but that they're using the right people, partnering with the right people to bring their strategy to life? Lindsay Gerudis, general manager of ShopStyle Collective, well, she lives and breathes this every day. And she has some fascinating takes on what retailers and brands really need to do to ensure that they're not just creating content that resonates with their consumers, but that they're building the right relationships and giving their influencers the power that they need to create content that resonates. It's a fascinating ripple effect that doesn't just impact engagement and you know soft actions like clicks and click-throughs, but it actually drives tangible revenue results. During today's conversation, we get into the nitty-gritty trends that are driving this new era of influencer marketing, how the influencer landscape is expanding, and most of all, how you can best navigate it. Lindsay has a great history in media and advertising and she's applied that heritage, that history to this fascinating space. So I learned a lot and I think you'll learn a lot too. Lindsay, so great to meet you and so excited to uh, have you on the show with me today. Thanks so much for taking the time.
0: No, thanks so much for having me.
1: So you are the general manager of ShopStyle Collective. And truth be told, I know of ShopStyle as a brand, as a destination. So that's part of the reason why I'm very excited to chat with you today. But I also want to dig a little bit deeper into your side of the business. So before we dig into trends and some of the best practices you're seeing in the space, let's start there. Can you share a little bit of context about ShopStyle Collective specifically and maybe how ShopStyle and your side of the business
0: kind of intertwine? Sure. So ShopStyle Collective is one of the premier influencer marketing platforms. And our goal is to connect our 30,000 influencers that we have in our network with the 13,000 brands that we have available through two key ways. One is affiliate marketing tools and the other is campaigns. Those are our sort of two key revenue streams. And just to give you a sense of scale of the business, every month we're reaching about 400 million consumers through our influencers. Those influencers are also driving about 32 million visits to our brand partners. And every year they're creating about 14 million affiliate links. So just a huge amount of scale. And what's really unique about us, and hopefully I I think you'll appreciate this as a content creator yourself, but our goal is really to create the best, most engaging content. And so we know that great content is a win, not just for our influencers, but also for our retail partners. That content is what's generating a ton of sales, it's creating brand awareness, it's creating new customer acquisition, and it's ultimately creating brand loyalty. So we think that both influencers and retailers and brands have equity in creating that great content. And we focus on facilitating it in three key ways. So the first is that, We make it easy through tools and products. And so for us, we know that link creation on the fly in multiple different destinations is crucial for influencers to be able to create that amazing content. We do that through a multitude of ways. We also have advanced tool sets like widgets and looks so that influencers can create native product experiences within their content. And we also have standard programs that we just launched last year to help grow influencers and teach them about monetization opportunities. We're also incredibly committed to actionable and transparent data. We know that data is what is informing better content each time around. For myself, having come from the publishing industry and working with editors for almost 20 years, I know that facilitating actionable content into insights has in many ways a snowball effect in creating better content each time around. So for us, it's making sure that for both our influencers and for our retailers we're giving them insights on what's driving net sales what's driving link level insights what's driving source level detail and making sure that we're giving them that insight on at every step of the way and then the third for us was really focusing on advocating for underrepresented voices that's been a pillar of ours um, that has really grown in the last year And we think facilitates, again, um, a better experience for both our influencers and our retailers. So for us, we're committing to every single one of our proposals, having 40 to 50% BIPOC influencers included in those proposals. We're hosting regular roundtables to better understand what we can do to facilitate a more democratic influencer marketing space. And we're just onboarding more brands from BIPOC-owned businesses to make sure we have representation across the board. And that's just a few of the ways that we're helping to facilitate that advocacy. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an overview of Shops Out Collective and, and really what we're focused on. Yeah, I love that. So much great
1: stuff. And I think we're going to kind of get into all three of those layers or, or components pretty organically in our conversation, which is great. I do want to, of course, go to your previous experience you're coming largely from this editorial and content driven background, but you also have experience in digital business strategy and content strategy, which is why I loved your emphasis, not just on the content itself, but also that full cycle, so to speak of creating great content, creating a great experience around that content and giving creators the power to assess and optimize that that content. You're truly my people, which is very <laughs> exciting. So (laughs) So, I mean, digging a little bit deeper into ShopStyle Collective's model and just end to end strategy, I'd love for you to kind of draw their positioning to some of the broader trends and maybe even changes that you've seen and realized in the media landscape? Because I find it so interesting that this world of content, like all of the elements are kind of converging and coming together because it's all re- all revolving around the customer, right? So I mean, what's your take on, on kind of the broader trends and changes that are happening in the, the media and advertising landscape?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question. So I think it's fun to sort of think about the fact that part of the reason why I took this job and I moved from traditional publishing into influencers is because I really saw the disruption that influencers were creating in the media landscape. And I think it's even more so over the last year. I mean, COVID has really done a number on the way that we're consuming media in general. And so consumers are spending more and more time on social. Than ever, the trend has been happening for, I mean, almost a decade now. I actually began to think about the fact that when I was working at Entertainment Weekly back in sort of the two two mid two thousands, you know, we had been noticing from for the sort of a couple of years how much consumers are stopping coming in through homepages or coming in through side sources they're coming in through seo and so understanding that homepage and destinations like that are, are really on the are waiting and so instead influencers i think saw that opportunity they capitalized on it and to be honest i think they really fill a void that consumers have been missing in their life so influencers are incredibly relatable They're personal, they provide inspiration, but they're attainable. They're sort of sit in that middle spot where, yes, that's not exactly the life that I have, but I know that that's attainable because this influencer looks just like me, acts just like me, has a life that's similar to me. So they really fill a void for consumers that I think that they've been looking for. And again, especially over the last year. I think what's also interesting is that influencers are getting more and more sort of specific and niche. And so one of the biggest trends that we've seen is that for the last you know, five years or so, I think big influencers are the ones that have been dominating the headlines. But the reality is that small nano micro influencers and, and what we're sort of deeming the gig which is someone who's creating a new sort of side gig by becoming an influencer on their own, and especially over the last year, are what's those folks are what are gaining the engagement from consumers. So they tend to sort of have smaller niche followings and really engage with consumers at a much higher rate. We're looking at over 3% engagement rate for nano, micro, and gig influencers versus sort of the macro and mega influencers, which have closer to a 1% rate. So they're incredibly valuable to consumers. Those consumers love seeing them in their feed. They're looking out for them. They're signing up for their emails. They're signing up for their Facebook groups. And we have seen that you know brands are really benefiting from widening their reach in the influencer marketplace by, by investing in not just the big mega influencers, but also the sort of smaller nano micro gig influencers.
1: Yeah, so many great points. And I know like the one thing that I've noticed too is like the bigger the influencer gets, or like the, the more their business, so to speak, scales, that level of connection and interaction may sometimes be lost, right? So those micro, nano, and, and even gig influencers now, right, which is a fantastic trend that I think we're going to dig into a little bit later. It seems like the smaller and more close-knit those communities are, the more people feel at home, I guess you could say, and like they're more eager and willing to engage, ask questions in a less hyperactive sphere, which I guess some people may feel is a bit more approachable and, and a bit easier for them to engage in, in some cases.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, when you think about the fact that gig and nano and micros have a specific audience they're going through for. And they're really, the other reason is that before they become big, as they're getting started, they have an extremely authentic sensibility. And I think that fosters an incredible amount of trust between the influencer and their audience. Having that real ability to say, this is exactly who I am. This is exactly how I'm doing it. I'm not unattainable. I'm not one of those unattainable, sort of completely aspirational, folks, I'm just like you, you know, I'm maybe I have a huge love for plants, or maybe I'm really into baking. And my goal as an influencer getting started is really to create that engaging experience, because it's going to help me grow. We think a lot about what we like to call the virtuous cycle of influencer growth. And it really sort of starts with that idea of posting followable content, and having people engage with that content, getting that encouragement from your followers and from your Base is what keeps people excited about going, and then it also is what encourages companies to start to recognize that fan base. Right, that engagement is crucial to having brands invest in you as a gig influencer, an influencer in general. So. The sort of baseline of the foundation of becoming a successful influencer for the long run is having that engagement. And so much of that engagement is having an authentic profile or an authentic experience in your content. And so being able to have that voice that gets you that engagement, that's what's going to help propel you to success as an influencer. Right. And I'm glad you brought
1: up what the brands and retailers are kind of looking for or assessing when they're trying to vet potential partners, right? Because like you said, for the longest time, the scales were always tipping in favor of the ones with just the big followings, right? The ones with the large community, not necessarily the quality of the community. But as you're kind of going through the different tiers or types of influencers, I could imagine a lot of executives listening right now are like, okay, well, this is a lot. How do I even navigate all of this? How do I determine how wide to my net, where to even start. And there are a lot of platforms and services out there. So I do want to dig a little bit deeper into the value for ShopStyle Collective specifically and what what kind of capabilities or insight you provide to brands and retailers specifically to kind of help gauge or, or navigate that process a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it is really important to us as the influencer platform to help guide retail partners through this very murky waters, as you would say. So we have years of experience hand-curating influencers within our platform to work with brands and retailers to fulfill against whatever goal and KPI those those retailers may have and I think that it's important to note that one of the most important things that we get when we're first starting to work with a retailer is an understanding of their goals right So are we thinking about sales? Is it a conversion level KPI is it? brand awareness. And based on understanding those KPIs, that's how we will customize how we will work with them on a unique experience with us. So like I said, we have multiple ways in which we work with influencers, we work with them on affiliate marketing. So we consult with our brands on what kind of influencers they want to reach, what commission rates are important to get in front of those influencers and how to make sure you provide the value. And I also want to highlight that for us, we spend a lot of time consulting with our retailers to get insights and data on what they're seeing as their own product suite is being released. So think about it again from the content creator's perspective. They're trying to get out as much content as they can at the fastest pace. And so for a retailer to stand out to those influencers, they need to be able to provide As many insights as they can on why their product is amazing, why the influencer should wanna highlight it, what great details they have, and certainly commission rates are an important part of sort of getting in front. You know, one thing that we've done recently is, you know, looking at the competitive landscape and doing sort of a five forces analysis. I think it's important to note that. For retailers, influencers have a choice of what retailer they can use to link to multitude of brands. And so facilitating brand loyalty between the influencer and the retailer is incredibly important for getting those sales and those conversion level data so we often facilitate conversations between influencers and retailers to help them sort of best understand again like what's the benefit of this retailer what's the benefit of this brand why should I as an influencer be telling my audience about it and it's really important for retailers to understand that that process can take a little bit of time. And that consistency is incredibly important in working with influencers. For example, beauty is an incredibly interesting category because influencers often are very specific about their beauty regimen. And they wanna make sure that they try beauty products before they recommend it. You know, their followers and their consumers really rely on them for that advice and they wanna make sure that it is valid. And so for beauty retailers and brands, it's really important that they facilitate that relationship and give the influence or time and insights as to why they should be recommending these products, You know what is going to be helpful for them. And so we have a multitude of ways in which we facilitate conversations, we facilitate gifting, we have ways in which we're marketing directly to influencers about products so that they feel tied to those brands and they feel interested and incentivized to link to them organically. And then the flip side of it is that we also do sponsored campaigns. And this is an important part of I think any retailer's influence or brand's influencer strategy is to think about how can I help leverage influencer both organically and from a sponsored perspective. We know that sponsored content works, that it is that campaigns are incredibly effective at driving brand loyalty. And one of the things that we're investing in now is really using data to prove out the halo effect of influencer for the long run. So, retailers for many years have been relying almost exclusively on last click attribution to suss out the effectiveness of an influencer campaign. But we know from working with retailers that have mixed media models as well as essentially working to create our own mixed media model that there's many factors that can influence the overall success of a campaign and that influencers generally have what we like to call this halo effect. So yes, of course there's last click attribution and we all love to see those last sales, but just as in any major brand awareness campaign, there are other ways that influencers can affect the overall sentiment of a brand and purchase down the line. So we're looking to analyze things like the network effect. So understanding coverage, pre, post, and during campaign. We're looking at sentiment analysis. We're looking at things like the number of influencers influencers creating links to a particular brand during a pre-post and during campaign. I mean, think about the fact that influencers do influence each other. And so making sure that we capture all that and sort of serve it up to our brands in a way that helps them understand the broader halo effect, and even looking at competitive analysis. And then the last thing I'll just add is that we have really been consulting with our influencers about when we look at campaigns and, and in general, their strategy when it comes to influencer, there's a real need for both consistency and for experimentation. So like I mentioned, it can take several times for a consumer to see a particular brand in an influencer's feed before they purchase it. So investing in consistency and always on campaigns with influencers that we know have an affinity to a brand or have worked with a brand in the past, as well as experimenting with those micro, nano and gig influencers. This has been a really winning strategy for us. And in particular, we worked with Elemis, which is one of our big partners on really expanding sort of their touch in that area and and broadening their reach with nano micros, because we wanted to make sure that they were growing their audience, they were growing their reach, and we really found that it was helpful for them. You know, we knew that by reaching out into more nano micro gig influencers that they increase their sales by 210% from H1 to H2 in 2020 and increase their conversion rate in that same time period. So really being able to, again, drive awareness and scale that reach with more than just those, with having sort of a consistency play as well as an experimentation play. That's great, Lindsay, and I think the one thing that I really appreciate about
1: your response is it really shows how nuanced this discipline, I guess you could say, is because I feel like there's this – undertone of when people talk about influencer marketing, it's like, oh, like we paid this one TikToker to like do the ad and then the results came. Like there really is a very customer focused and nuanced strategy. And and I do want to double click on one point that you brought up around the consideration set of the influencers themselves and how they determine who they're going to partner with and what brands and retailers need to do to provide that level of confidence, whether that be through the products themselves, the partnership parameters, but also kind of like those underlying brand values and what the brand stands for. And is there alignment with the content and the community that the influencer is building, right? Because I know that there are a few headlines that I can think of off the top of my head where like there were influencer partnerships that People called out because it was just so outside of the bounds of what they typically shared with their audience. So I think it just really shows the level of sophistication that we're reaching with influencer marketing whereas you know a few years ago it was just like oh like cost per post or you know cost per instagram story and and there wasn't much meat to that conversation and i think that kind of lends itself to this bigger conversation or bigger question that i have for you around you know new trends and new realities that we're facing as an industry or as marketers for influencer marketing. I mean, obviously over the past year, it's been a time of unprecedented change, new trends, new behaviors. We talked about the rise of the gigfluencer, which is really fun and exciting. But is there anything else in the way of trends that you think brands and retailers really need to know
0: about right now? Yes. And I'm really glad you touched on it before. Aligning influencers And I think retailers both each have a stake in the ground with this. But aligning against values is a hugely important thing more than ever, I think, now. So you said there have been obviously headlines about influencers who have partnered with brands that seemed way off from their values. We have heard about that plenty on our end, you know, with our own influencers saying, I really can't, I really can't take this campaign or I'm not necessarily going to work with that retailer because they don't align with my values. And this can be anything from DE&I objectives that, that are, you know, so prevalent right now to sustainability. You know, there's so much that influencers have really begun to out on in the past year when they never did before. I thought actually BuzzFeed did a great piece about how the sort of tide has really turned where for so long influencers were were very silent on their personal values. They may not have known where they stood on any particular issue and that has become I think the exception to the rule, influencers are really out there, they're telling people about what what they stand for, they want to make sure it's very clear, and accordingly, they want to align with retailers that go with that same value. So for us, that's an important trend that's come up. And I actually, I sort of touched on this, but I think the the flip side is happening as well. So retailers are acutely aware of also what is happening in the social media space when it comes to content that skirts on the edge of what we know is perhaps touching on issues that don't align with their own values as as retailers as well. You know, I think that there's lots that retailers have stood up for as in addition to influencers over the past year and they also are looking to make sure that influencers that they're aligning with don't risk misaligning with their own values. And so for us I think one thing that's really interesting in the influencer marketing space right now is that there are very few benchmarks that exist and very few ways in which any influencer marketing platform, of which there are now hundreds, um, really stand for in the way of, you know, transparency and, you know, in many ways, compliance around this, you know, it is sort of a Something that no one in the influencer marketing space is addressing in terms of how do we make sure that both influencers and retailers feel secure in who they're working with on this platform? How do they know? You know, how do we make sure that everybody is aligned on those values? And so, you know, at Shastell Collective, we're trying to be at the forefront of those issues and making sure that. We're really out there consulting on both sides of the aisle to make sure that, you know, the ecosystem we've created is one in which is really mutually beneficial. Our goal is to create that sort of win-win-win experience where influencers feel comfortable on the platform, they like the retailers they're aligning with, and vice versa. And so for us, that ecosystem is incredibly important to sort of uphold and can be very delicate. And so we need to make sure that we're on top of that. I think other trends that exist in the marketplace right now that um, marketers really need to be aware of on a more fun note is that video is continuing to sort of explode. There are so many of these new platforms. We're investing more in video and and I think we'll continue to see that as a rising trend. One thing that I do always talk about with video is that it is incredible brand awareness play. has yet, especially on a platform like TikTok, prove out to be one that really looks at conversions. And so that sort of ties me to one other trend that we're seeing, which is that marketing budgets are fusing in a way... That they haven't before. So, affiliate marketing teams and brand awareness teams are working together to create new programs that sort of span multiple KPIs. And that's great because it helps bring more attention and more opportunities for influencers and for performance marketing. But it also provides, I think, an opportunity for additional consultation. When marketing teams come together and one's a performance team and they're heavily focused on ROI and one is a brand awareness team and they're really focused on upper funnel, sometimes those KPIs can be in direct opposition to one another. And so at Collective, we work to guide our marketing partners to say, hey, based on the budget that you have, let's focus on one KPI or the other, or how do we make these work together? And it's really important for us to facilitate those kinds of really honest, transparent conversations with marketers because it is a murky place to be in when you're trying to combine a team that's worked traditionally on sort of these high level, maybe a digital display campaign or even a print or a TV campaign. And now we're introducing performance marketing to the conversation. Those two things can often, like I said, be in direct opposition to one another. So having those sort of open, transparent conversations is incredibly important. And then, you know, I think the last real trend that we're seeing is that, especially over the last year in COVID, there's been so few outlets for marketers to do their normal content creation. And so that's where influencers really have um, filled the void in, in an amazingly important way. So, so many marketers have relied on outlets to create content for them so that they can distribute those amongst their many many different platforms when COVID hit all that shut down and influencers i think were one of the exclusive places to do that and that's been incredibly fruitful for marketers in particular that have been able to trust and sort of let go of control of the content and sort of let influencers guide them along the content creation funnel have really benefited from working with them because it creates that authentic connection between the influencer and their user and introduces the brand in sort of in the middle of that connection. And so that really facilitates long-term brand loyalty. So we've seen that the direction more towards influencers being a content creation vehicle and then really guiding along the way what that marketing language should look and feel like as the influencer has benefited marketers in an incredible way.
1: Yeah. I think that point around letting go of control is really important. And I think it's sometimes overlooked, maybe voluntarily by like marketing and branding teams, because there is that need to give the creator credence over their audience, right? Because they know their audience better than anyone else. They know what content resonates with them. So that means to an extent, the, the brand or the retailer needs to give them that power to present the information or the product in the way that best suits them, which I'm sure is is scary for a lot of the marketing teams out there. When you know you have goals to hit, when you know that you have KPIs to track, it's like how do you kind of let go of that? I'm sure that's that's probably aligned with a few conversations you've been having over the past year.
0: It's really hard for marketers and I get it. I feel them in so many ways and it's hard to let go of control but you know like i said the more that they can let the influencers do their job the better there's so much value that the influencers have in understanding their audience and understanding what those how that audience wants to consume content what they're going to engage with the platform in which they're going to engage giving the influencer that control and relinquishing specific messaging from the marketer makes the influencer feel more comfortable it makes them more engaged it provides it it fosters loyalty between the influencer and that brand or retailer for the long run and i think that that is an incredible point that i would really want to hit home with marketers is that even if you feel like the message isn't exactly what you want or the product isn't exactly what you wanted the ultimate end goal of driving brand awareness or driving sales is going to win because influencers are going to say, you know, I know you really wanted to hit that jean jacket. I know that was really important for you. But let me tell you, these mules are going to do much better. Because I know that my audience is really into shoes right now that they are buying them at a crazy clip. And if you just let me focus on this, then ultimately, that will sell and it will drive long term brand awareness. So I think it really calls to that need to sort of look at the long-term vision and the long-term goals versus the short-term goal of what a marketer is looking for. So that can be hard, but the value, again, for the long-term is
1: really worth it. Yeah, so many great points there. I do want to ask, broadly speaking, because I feel like as More people are relying on social media. I mean, we've seen the numbers around how social networks like Instagram have largely become a first step in the browsing experience and why this, this is where they go to get inspired. They follow these influencers. They get immersed in their lifestyles. That is the activation or the inspiration point for them in a lot of ways. And I think that's been a very exciting evolution that we've seen over the years, and it's really come to a head, I think, over over this past year. But with that demand, I guess you could say, I, I feel like there is a lot more people creating content. And like obviously, rightly so. I mean, Instagram is a content creation platform at its core, which is very exciting. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into the point we've brought up a few times over our conversation, the the rise of gigfluencers, micro-influencers, nano-influencers. It seems like as these platforms build out their content capabilities, and there are all of these new and exciting things, it seems like the... The entire influencer ecosystem is expanding and I don't want to say getting more complicated, but there are more options out there, which again is exciting, but also very overwhelming. So I guess I'm trying to get to the heart of the challenges or frustration points that marketing teams may have as they try to navigate this ever-changing and ever-growing space, right? I mean, like you said, casting a wider net, I think, is extremely important. I think that's super valid. But are there any challenges or considerations for... These marketing teams that are trying to find the right people to represent them? Or is this just like a positive thing, like in your in your eyes? Whereas like more options, bigger community, more people having voices, and it's just like largely a positive thing for both the social world as well as the brand world?
0: I really think it's a positive thing. There's never gonna be an, an end to a need for more authentic, trusted voices. People are joining new social media platforms every day. There's new experimentation in the kinds of content that we're delivering from short form video to, you know, Clubhouse. And so there's a consistent need to evolve the way that consumers are interacting with influencers. And so that begets a need for more influencers. And I do really empathize with the fact that marketers are overwhelmed. It is hard to keep up with it all and to understand how to navigate it. And I think it, it's really for that reason that we recommend working with an influencer marketing platform to help you get there. I will in full transparency, I will tell you influencer mar- having come from the publishing world and joining an influencer marketing platform and sort of being influencer adjacent as I would like to say for many years in my career, once you get into it, it is incredibly complicated. It is a very difficult business model that includes many nuances that are both strategic, right? When you think about sort of the nuances of running a successful influencer campaign, there is so many things to consider, the KPIs, the influencers, the consistency versus the experimentation and innovation, so many factors. And then there are legal factors. I mean, we are literally sending out SOWs to every influencer. There's so much that complicates the process. And so for that reason, working with an influencer marketing platform of choice is incredibly helpful for marketers who are not doing this every day. You know, And I think that that is the value of saying to yourself as a marketer that I have not only the consultancy and the experience of folks who are literally doing this every day with thousands of influencers and hundreds of brands and retailers and the knowledge base that they have, but also the capability to go through the process of doing this and not having to spend your time as a marketer thinking through FTC compliance, you know, legal SOWs, all those things. It's really valuable and it'll free those marketers up to think more strategically about their business and to grow it in the long run. So from my perspective, the value of an influencer marketing platform is incredible in growing the strategy of any marketer and and really sort of filling in the, the need without draining the resources.
1: Right. So you can only reach a a certain level of scale or performance without getting some sort of of support or resource to facilitate one or or several areas of this process, which I mean, I think just our conversation alone really has unpacked all of the different layers to it. Like, I knew this was complicated, but like, we're really getting into it, which I appreciate. So like, what do you say in response to some of the debates that have been happening around the longevity or even the validity of influencer marketing. So I'm speaking through the lens of like commentary or even documentaries like HBO's Fake Famous, right? Like, I watched it, I get what they're trying to do. But I felt like there were some holes there that I was yeah. really eager to poke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, as someone who lives and breathes this every day, I mean, how do you kind of handle those objections that I guess I'm assuming that they may come up in some of the conversations that you may be having with marketing teams I mean are there is there ever like a push and pull of is this even worth investing into the level that you're saying I mean what are some of the negative conversations happening and and how do you
0: handle those yeah I think that we have been fortunate enough to focus so much on transparent data that fraudulent influencers has not been a big issue for us. And, and I think that that actually somewhat ties to your last point too, because one thing that I forgot to mention, but I think is an important part of working with a platform and especially a platform like ShopStyle Collective is the measurement piece of working with influencers. And I think this is a key p- part of validating the value of influencers on their own. So for us, our key metric that we use with our marketers is conversions. And it is essentially not possible to fake conversions because it is is an actual purchase. So at scale, that is not something that we have any issues with when it comes to fraud. So for us, having that key metric has been one of the most essential ways that we're able to say, fraud is not an issue on our platform. We are measuring this on conversions and that's how we are paying out. And so you as a marketer do not need to take on that risk. That said, the other ways that we do combat this, because it is an important part of you know, our marketers feel comfortable working with us, is that we really have the consultancy and the curated influencer experience. So we're hand-selecting influencers based on our relationship with them that you know really ensure audience alignment with whatever the marketers' KPIs are. We're, in addition to sort of hand curating and picking those influencers, we're also continuing to monitor the quality of the content, comments, and engagement throughout any campaign we're doing. We're matching the rate of likes with the rate of comments. And we're invested in really helping influencers grow ethically. And so I mentioned this before, we launched a new PPC campaign specifically for nano influencers. And you may say, well, hey, that's sort of against what you just said, which is a pay-per-click model versus a CPA, but the PPC is, the risk is all on our end. So marketers still do not pay for anything other than the conversion. But we're helping influencers grow and helping them grow ethically by incentivizing them to get started, even when they're too small to be able to make sales at scale. And so we're really invested in, in getting them off the ground. And that helps them stay loyal to us, helps them learn um, the rules of the road, helps them become successful influencers in the long run. And then when they become big enough and they become valuable we, or valuable to the marketers, then we can begin casting them in campaigns. So, all those things really add up to our ability to say fraudulent issues is not part of our ca- of our network. And I'll just add one other thing, which I forgot to mention, which is that our PPC campaign, our PPC program, our standard program requires that influencers validate themselves through a Facebook business account. And so this alone, we help sort of validate that they're not fraudulent, they have business accounts, you know, they're not just sort of saying, hey, I'm an influencer, here's my email, and joining the platform. We have multiple ways in which we're validating their existence and that they are right. actual <laughs> content creators, and they're not um, clickbots from wherever trying to game the system. So we're, we're really invested in this as a, as a Safeguard.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. It's good to know that there are procedures and and practices in place to maintain that trust and and also create a fair playing field for the influencers, right? I mean, all of these bots and, you know, other tools that are designed to like game the system. I mean, it impacts things for the creators too. So I think the fact that you're kind of thinking through all of those layers is fantastic. And and Lindsay, I can't even believe it. we're almost like at an hour. I mean, like mm-hmm. we could just go on and on and on, but I do want to close up our conversation with just a few takeaways or considerations for our marketers or our social executives out there because we talked about it earlier. Over the past year, we've seen this shift to e-commerce, a shift to digital, more time on social, more people creating and engaging with social. And simultaneously, we've also seen social commerce capabilities kind of reach this new level of maturity. Still some way to go, but I think some great progress has been made. So, In the way of trends or expectations, I know it's hard to, especially given the past year, it's hard to kind of look into the crystal ball and come up with a firm answer. But what trends are you personally tracking the business, more opportunities for influencer monetization, more opportunities for better content experiences? I mean, what what trends are are really piquing your interest and getting you excited right now?
0: Yeah. So, you know what's coming up, which is so funny because I feel like these two trends come and go with their popularity, but texting. Texting is coming back again. SMS messaging and influencers getting in on that game in a major way. They want to deliver content and product recommendations direct to their followers in that really intimate and urgent way. And so texting is coming back in a big way. Also, email is coming back. We have seen a ton of our influencers investing in their O&O newsletter uh, delivery. And again, that is a sort of a trend that we're seeing because as social platforms really sort of go the way of influencers have a hard time predicting the algorithm, they have a hard time being able to guarantee exposure, they're looking to bring their consumers over to their own O&O properties, you know, that be their blogs, texting, emails, they want to own that experience with their consumers, and so that is an investment that they're really diving into. And then we are keeping a really close eye on live stream shopping. Um, Everybody's experimenting with this tool, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You know, there's lots of fun authenticity and sincerity that's happening with live shopping. We know that it's big overseas. So we're keeping a really close eye on it and making sure that we're facilitating our influencers to be able to participate in it when they're ready. And we're definitely spending a lot of time thinking about Clubhouse. It is a prime example of an up-and-coming platform for influencers and they're really figuring out ways to monetize and really experimenting even with audio shopping. So we're anticipating this to become another Big sort of investment for them. And then finally, you know, one thing I will say that we're really happy to see is that the social platforms, despite the many benefits and difficulties they provide influencers, they are investing more in creator funds for us as a, a platform that serves to really help influencers grow. We really encourage them to have a diverse revenue stream. We encourage them to get revenue in multiple places. And we're happy to see that the platforms are finally sort of really investing in them as they've built their backs off of these influencers for so long. So it's nice to see them rewarded. I will say, I know there's a lot of problems with them and that they don't work the way that they're expected most of the time. But (laughs) I think if nothing else, we're glad to see that influencers are are being recognized. And we want to continue to have them really grow in that way.
1: Yeah, a lot more conversation around the art and science of content creation, which obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I appreciate it. I'm not an influencer but like I understand the time and the effort that goes into creating that content and doing it on the scale that a lot of these entrepreneurs do. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Really exciting stuff that Clubhouse conversation would v- be very interesting. I know things are still shaking out in a lot of ways, but something we can definitely dig into at a later date. But to close things out, Lindsay, I mean, we talked about a lot of trends, a lot of new things happening, some considerations for retailers, how to best manage those relationships, find your right partners. But I feel like there, there are some closing tips or, or takeaways that we can maybe zero in on to help retailers and brands best navigate these ever-changing tides, right? Like you said, so many exciting things happening, but also can be complicated to navigate everything and zero in on not just strategy, but the tactics, right? So are there any uh, closing takeaways that you have for us?
0: Biggest closing takeaway is for marketers to trust your influencers. If you are investing in working with influencers as a marketing vehicle, Trust that they know their audience, trust that they're going to deliver against what you're asking them to, against your KPI, and give them the freedom and the ability to look at what you have to offer and make a decision on how to present that to to their audience. I can't hit this home enough. They know exactly what they're doing. They're good at their jobs for a reason. The freedom to do that job on their own is going to benefit you both in the long run. So that is the number one takeaway, I would say, that marketers should hopefully get from this conversation.
1: Love it. Lindsay, thank you again so much for taking the time out. I would know we went a little bit over time, but again, it's a very in-demand hot topic now. I think, um, you know, there's a lot happening in the space that marketers want some clarity, ideas, and, and inspiration on. So thank you again so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. It was great. And to all of you, thank you, of course, for joining us for today's episode. We hope you found it insightful and maybe provided some clarity or validation for some of the influencer marketing decisions that you're making. If you have any follow-up questions for Lindsay, comments, ideas, feel free to drop us a line on social, on Twitter at rtouchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to the pod, um, we encourage you to do so. You'll get updates. new episodes and great conversations like this are available. And if you like what you hear, drop us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.